0: Junkies. To Freedom Junkie Radio, I'm Betsy Dewey, your host, and today I have Brandon Wallace with me. He has an Austin-based company called Plan Systems where it's technology that's going to be groundbreaking as soon as it's made available to all of us. Basically an application that I'm going to let Brandon talk about it because I won't describe it right. So Brandon, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Betsy. It's great to be here.
0: Well, I'm, I'm super excited for you to be here. This is going to be a different kind of show because we're going to have a lot of visuals because he's going to be using a screen. So if you're listening to this podcast today, uh, go ahead and listen. But if you're very interested in what we're talking about, you may want to go back and watch it afterwards. So Brandon, tell us what plan systems is about.
1: Yeah. So this idea is that um, the idea that really is behind plant systems and the motivation uh, behind the technology that we're creating and developing is that um, people need the tools to securely connect with each other and to engage in meaningful projects like this podcast right here, for instance, you know. um, So plant systems is developing tools for real time and immersive collaboration. And Project management for groups and communities so they can make better decisions together, you know, and uh, we're using sort of this New era of internet technologies. Some people call it web 3.0 um, it, it really is just a uh, Sort of evolution of the internet technologies that we're all really familiar with but just with a new twist that the the systems the infrastructure that Underlies those um, those software applications and interfaces that we we all love using is a uh, is based on a framework that brings to paramount concern things like data privacy uh, and data ownership. And um, infrastructure resiliency, and uh, you know, ha- having a a piece of software that is hardware agnostic. You know, it, it doesn't have terms and stipulations about what piece of hardware you put it on, or what kind of um, of organization that you're that you're working on.
0: Okay. So, f- so the, what I gather is that. It doesn't take the place of the internet, but in a way, it's going to take the place of a lot of what you use the internet for.
1: It will essentially transform the internet from a 2D web layout uh, interface to a more collaborative and immersive space. So right now, the extent of collaboration on the internet really is um, things like Google Documents or, uh, or um, you know, Slack or... You know, these uh, messaging apps that uh, people have been adopting and using for, for you know, quite a few decades now.
0: Okay, so this would have, it would maybe kind of take the place of a social media in a way, because you can communicate through it. In a way, language.
1: yeah. Right, exactly. But the important uh, consideration is that this new community operating system is... Designed to be community centric. So you're not coming to plan systems to update your security permissions or your governance structure. You know, you're Defining those things at your community level and then inviting people into this encrypted enclave That can then allow people to connect with each other and and have that outer security layer um, that that can really bring a community together. Let's say a, a neighborhood struggling through a winter storm, for example, might adopt a, a peer-to-peer system with an an interface that allows you to collaboratively co- collaboratively map your environment maybe sharing resources, okay. sharing um, perspectives about your situation.
0: I can't wait till you get to show us some of this stuff and show us these maps because it's amazing. It's like, it's like you're in a video game when I saw you give the presentation that I saw. Um, so you're saying that the, the surveillance aspect, the privacy aspect is much better. It's, it's like it leaps and bounds, like way over the moon better than internet
1: well yeah the internet really is inherently kind of an insecure place you know when it was uh first invented the people that were looking at implementing it had uh security mechanisms hardware encryption systems that they uh, used on top of those protocols but so really the 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 privacy of the internet was always sort of like an afterthought you know the Mm. You know, it was built in a time frame where there weren't sophisticated surveillance tools designed to pick apart these systems, you know.
0: That came later. Okay, so I have two questions before we get started. One is your background a little bit, and then, um, because I think that's fascinating, where you come from military and your training there and, and what you did with our the U.S. military. Then the other thing is where you're going. So where you came from and where you're going before we get started, because, uh, I so first, give, give us... A little bit of, of your background.
1: I was a California transplant into Houston, Texas and with my uh, single mother. I decided to join the military out of high school and so um, my, my decision was to um, become an intelligence operations analyst and I didn't know what that meant at the time. It just it very much sounded like I would be able to gain a better exposure to uh... the systems and the way that the world works and um, and so i was at that age it was uh... In, uh the year two thousand and when i joined and so uh, it was about a year before 9-11 and i referenced 9-11 just because that was a huge military force shaping event and it had a lot of implications on the intelligence community and the way that uh... analysis and uh... decision making Um, occurs in in those in those fields and so um, I joined and became an intelligence analyst and my first duty assignment was in San Antonio where I learned about nodal analysis and um, basically understanding networks better and their centers of gravity and um, and from, from there, I moved on and worked at uh, a little unit called the 613th Contingency Response Group. And that was designed to be a, a quick reaction uh, kind of entity for the Pacific. And so Guam is this very tiny island in the middle of the Pacific, very strategically positioned. Uh, U.S. territory. It is a U.S. territory, and it's a, a beautiful little island. It has uh, a Navy base on the south and an air force base on the north part of the island. So, um, so, uh, I ended up at this, uh, tiny unit. It didn't exist before I got there. We had to set it up from scratch and sort of learn the, this, uh, art of, uh, contingency and humanitarian response in this Pacific Island, uh, from this Pacific Island location that allowed us a very, uh, You know, a wide access to the the whole Pacific region where, you know, as you know, there's a lot of allies and a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, current events, even today that are sort of arising out of the 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 relationships and the the activities that happen in these areas. Uh, We were very much focused on, um, you know, this this idea of responding to humanitarian crises. So we would do things like airfield surveys and deploy to. Uh, places like Sri Lanka or Bangladesh and do an airfield survey and try to uh, hand them tools so that they could better understand what it is they were uh, equipped to handle in the case of an emergency. And so uh, from there um, I went to Okinawa and worked in Japan and I had a bunch of different jobs in Japan. Japan was a very uh, vibrant place for U.S. forces and for you know um, the activities that uh, that we engage in with our allies and the Air Force base there that I was assigned to, I ended up working with uh, some combat combat search and rescue helicopters, and so I was an intel analyst for helicopter pilots, and um, we would uh, we ended up getting tasked to go to Afghanistan shortly after. It was a it was a little while after actually. This was around 2000. Six two 2007 time period where we'd already been in Afghanistan, you know, since 2001 and Iraq since, uh, uh, since shortly after that, about 2002. And, um, and so what we were tasked to do, it's not normal for combat search and rescue to go, uh, deploy to places like Afghanistan to do medevac operations but that's what we were tasked to do because the army even at that time had already been sort of uh, very much uh, overutilized, you know and um, and so we went out there to assist the army in doing these combat search and and uh, medical evacuation operations uh, where we were uh, essentially flying beside and supporting the army Uh, in their in their uh, in their mission and so it was in in that environment that I really got to learn and experience firsthand you know uh, just how close I was to the edge of the network and the ability to understand what's happening around me and report that in a in a way that would assist pilots and you know colonels and other decision makers in in how to um, position their assets and their resources and their personnel. So that was a very interesting experience for me, deploying um, to Afghanistan and even deploying to some of the remote tactical operation centers and providing intelligence support to these helicopter pilots embedded in their unit deployed with them uh, into the field. And um, the things that we used to communicate these medevacs were Uh, very impressed on me in terms of like their, both their utility and their uh, ability to help us make decisions. Um, And some of the things that I used to accomplish those goals was a combination of a, of a spreadsheet, uh, a mapping system. We had a, a map that would allow me to make custom maps for pilots. So it was really designed for, uh, launching aircrafts and doing flight plans, but I adapted this for a ground scenario use because you could have essentially any level of imagery in these systems, all the way down to one meter imagery, and have very good uh, tactical situation awareness using these mapping systems. And so, what I would do is I would create a spreadsheet. And um, have you ever heard of IRC? I
0: think I have heard of that, but I don't know what it is.
1: IRC is um, a protocol for sending um, Chat just a chat protocol internet relay chat, right and it was one of the really really useful protocols to come out of um, The development of the internet and the chat based protocols, you know the first chat protocols were open source and available and so the You know, um, when you and I were growing up and just experiencing the Internet really for the first time, those chat channels that we used and even a lot of the ones since then uh, were uh, influenced or even based on the IRC protocol itself. Slack is a great example of this, taking IRC and adapting this for the project workspace kind of environment, you know. And so we were using IRC, A, because it's free. And B, because we also had the tools to secure that network, you know. So when I'm in uh, my tactical operations center in Afghanistan, I get a nine-line medevac uh, information report. And so this nine-line medevac comes out of a chat window that I'm watching. And I have, you know, maybe half a dozen to a dozen chat windows that I'm uh, essentially monitoring. And... um, and the way that we structure the protocol is that we know who's on assignment to respond to medevacs in a certain region, right? And so those chats are also based on regional uh, re- regional boundaries that have been uh, identified and shared with all of the people that are involved in these emergency and um, military applications. So, um, so there's... Um, Medics in the field that are also positioned forward around the, the country and it's very low bandwidth kind of conditions You know, it's not we're not trying to serve up uh, huge amounts of information It's really just like get this nine lines of text to this tactical operation center so this pilot and their crews can launch and recover a individual um, safely and um, So the way that that process works is that we get that nine line you know, I spin my crews up, and I call them either through a radio. Uh, the radios that we use are, you know, ham radio and also satellite communications, satcom radio that we have at our disposal. And one of the things that I realized when I was in this situation is that, you know, sort of, you know, I'm, this was 2006, you know, almost 15 years ago, and it just sort of dawned on me at that point. It's like, uh, well, what happens when we lose this this internet connection that we have that's helping me sort of establish this connection with this frontline medevac you know Uh, what tools do I really have if that uh, if that goes down or if that an outage occurs and really like you know these other kind of satellite antennas that push these like low low bandwidth radio frequencies so you can actually send messages long distance or are that are that like sort of last line you know and that if I lose my internet in a lot of ways I lose um, a lot of the 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 capabilities to connect and track what's happening and it becomes at that point a very manual process you know of writing down nine line medevac reports and uh, manually looking up a a a lat long on a map you know and and um, and and very quickly you know we're sort of relying on like um not these sophisticated tools anymore we're relying on a lot more uh rudimentary tools and um and I I just think it's interesting to talk about this because not a lot of people are really exposed to the process of how information especially like life-saving information is communicated and how much of that relies on both the hardware software and and the interfaces that sort of allow us to engage that information but there's also this sort of all this hidden infrastructure you know the hardware lines of communication and
0: just phones how do you mean i mean it seems like if i had an emergency situation i'd get on the phone i don't need the internet okay y'all didn't have that
1: well but that phone is still there's still a um a hardware line or an antenna that is driving that right so, so if and, I were in the
0: middle of the desert it might not yeah. work
1: well and also um, and we did have STES, like uh, we call out uh, are uh, est- essentially secure telephones and we absolutely have that you know but when we're talking about data transmission let's say a nine-line report that I need to like take from this um, input system and then turn it around and actually create intelligence products out of it either whether it's a map or whether it's a report, you know, I basically have to be able to transmit this information around, you know, and the, and just to say that the, the systems that we use just weren't very integrated, you know, and, uh, and, and that was uh, sort of a realization for me that, um, that there could be better ways to do this because I'll just bring back the, um, the for a second. You know when we're when i'm when i was making a spreadsheet of all of these uh these incidents and reports and medevacs that we were um that we were taking on uh, we wanted a way to not only track that and those incidents and those reports for both reporting and to inform you know uh decision making um but also i could give these uh overlays to the pilot and they could fly with them with their toughbook in, in the uh, in the cockpit, you know. And um, well, it's a very manual process though, because I was basically taking these spreadsheets and then importing them in and creating these monthly overlays, and um, and it was a it was just a process of using half a dozen different utilities and different softwares to sort of bring this picture together of. Mm. These are the the metavacs that we responded to. These are the uh, the issues and the threats that we see in our environment, and um and and this is how uh, we responded, and and this is all the reporting that went with that as well. So like all of that is sort of produced over a lot of different software platforms, and and you uh,
0: you integrated it.
1: Yeah. Well, I found a way to make it work in a in a in a in a tool set that I could hand to other analysts and professionals that they could then um, repeat that process
0: and plan systems has grown out of that
1: sort of grown out of this idea that we need more integrated systems that take advantage of these new technologies that we have available to help both secure our data but also to distribute it and make it more redundant uh, more redundant and accessible
0: okay yeah so. Let's go ahead and let's jump in a little bit. Show me what it, what's going on with it and what it looks like.
1: All right, well, we, let's get it started, I guess. We're not done with this software. We're really, in a, in a lot of ways, we're still at the beginning. Uh, we've been working on this project for about three years now. Um, the first year and a half we spent in the, designing the infrastructure and the underlying um, foundation. Of the system, and then we spent the last year to year and a half working on the interfaces. So there really are two uh, very important parts of this project um, that they will eventually uh, come together in order to create a um, <coughs> yeah a much more integrated way to connect on the internet. Okay,
0: okay, and so that's part of what I want to talk to you about too. I want to see what what it is, but I also want to know what it is your you're looking for because I know you're you're looking to get some backing on this
1: yeah we would love to get other people involved um, in what we're doing Uh, and it really is a principled framework uh, that we're that we're working on Um, so I just launched the application here all right yeah so now we're in the system here and we're recording the screen sorry for those that can't see it right now um,
0: this will be on Rumble and BitChute and it'll be on YouTube unless it's something YouTube would censor and then it'll be on BitChute and Rumble.
1: There's no reason to censor any of this.
0: <laughs> I'm not, you never know what we're going to talk about.
1: <laughs> um, let's see so so this right here we've just opened that uh, this is our panel system so this is a system that was built with a 3d engine and um, the only reason that that's important is because it it adds essentially a new capability for you to connect in immersive spaces and environments you know rather than um you know what a lot of people are used to when they engage with the internet are uh, web browsers so in a a lot of ways this is like a web browser it runs uh, as an application um, but a web browser is designed to render 2D layout views of information. Now, Our browser is designed to render 3D layout views. So it's not a text-based system. It's a node-based system. So those nodes are... You can think of them as, uh, as an abstraction to, uh, to almost anything. A data set or a... Um, well, it's a data set. Okay. To, just to be uh, s- simplistic about it. <coughs> Please be
0: simplistic, I'm not tech savvy.
1: Yeah, so So uh, what we're looking at here is the, uh, the, two, the 2D panel system. And so this 2D thing can be on a, uh, on a desktop computer or on a mobile device. Okay. I've got my iPad here. Can... I
0: said be simplistic for me, but you can go into any detail you want to for people who are more techie, because some sure. people would want more detail.
1: Yeah, definitely and um so this is designed to be um also ar vr compatible in the future when when, um you know when you want even more um, integration with the world in terms of the data that you're working with overlaying on top of the the world that we're looking at you know those kind of things become possible but um we think that it's really important if you're going to have tools like this that they be uh, designed in a way that serves communities and the individuals adopting these tools and that privacy is a very important part of this project and um, that's also uh, in part why we decided to establish this organization as a 501c3 uh, is because um, we want to be we want to position the the infrastructure that people use as owned by the communities and the uh, the organizations that are using them not that they're renting their privacy from another third party
0: so it's highly accessible right and not necessarily and almost like free energy it's a gift to the it, world it is a
1: gift and, and that's the that's the idea is that you know you 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 almost can't like give somebody s- security and be like involved in that process right because as soon as I'm let's say I'm um, insert big tech company here kind of label. Uh, and I say, well, I'm going to give you this really encrypted system, but first I'm going to take your credit card and payment information. And then I'm going to ask you for your phone number so you can log into my system. And then I'm going to be keeping track of all the logs and all of the information and possibly selling it to third parties on yeah, the well, back end. Well, you
0: don't ever You
1: don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of times you do know that they are right that's true and uh and they'll be clear about like the fact that that is happening okay so
0: this in a way like for me to compare it to free energy is a good comparison like it's
1: yeah because um and the way i look at it is like software is a public good you know um you know, some of my influence has been in thinking of how to structure these systems has been from um uh, a really fine lady named eleanor ostrom who uh, won a Nobel Prize in economics, was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize in economics. She was uh, very uh, informative and, um, and sort of groundbreaking in her work where she would travel to communities across the world in places like Japan and, uh, and really a lot of different places that her work covers um, where she would look at uh, commons environments and communities, um, you know, coming together to manage resources, manage common resources and have a common system for how to use and access those resources. And she came up with this really beautiful foundational approach of a framework for governing the commons, and that's her seminal work it was called Governing the Commons. And, um, and so we've taken her framework and tried to adapt it for a technological uh, a technological use case, right?
0: I will put her name in the show notes, Eleanor Ostrom.
1: Eleanor Ostrom. Yeah. Uh, so right now, just because we don't have some of the core, um, let's see. I'm just going to update a couple things here while we're doing this. And so what we're looking at here is called our crate manager. And so what we do is we package up 3D content um, using the 3D engine that we've created our application with and and then um, package it into a thing that we call a crate. And that crate can then be put on a server and distributed to to the community. So we're about to look at uh, the plan community here. So right now we're uh, downloading the crate that um, essentially... Will give us access to all of the 3D content that um, that I've used in this demo community. So right now, when we look at it, it will be a bunch of question mark boxes. Um, And so um, a little bit about the environment that we're in. This is a a 3D environment. Now you see that I'm uh, well, I've got all my question mark boxes there because that's actually crate content that hasn't been loaded in yet. Okay. Right. So the way our system works is in instead of you know um, taking a bunch of HTML right and then rendering it on the page using um, you know uh, HTTP protocol, what we're doing is we have a, a node based system. so this is like each one of these boxes is a node that's on this gra- on this uh, floor, right And you don't uh, so essentially this is referencing a, a very simple file that just tells uh, the, the, la- the, the the system here where to place the objects in the scene. And so what this <coughs> allows us to do is essentially have this immersive 3D environment that... Um, well, let's pan over here because this stuff, this content is still in the crate. Um... So here we have some of the the uh, first functional uh, channels that are in our system. So we have a links. Uh, <coughs> this one will open up to uh, the plan Systems homepage. So while we're looking at this, let's just get rid of this. Um, so um, there is a 2D browser built into this system. So it's not just exclusively a 3D environment. It's actually 2d and 3d content being brought together in a system that will allow you to You know, sometimes you want to look at a map, but sometimes you want to read a report uh, Sometimes you're reading a report that is based off of locations on a map. Yeah, I just wanted to point out also here that um, This is a multitasking environment. So these tabs will pin to any side that allows you to get um, know um, some different perspectives of the environments that you're that you're engaging in here so the the function that we have uh, that we're provisioning for really so I can essentially click anywhere in a space and then I can start placing a node which in this case um, can be represented by a 3D uh, model, or we call them glyphs. A glyph is just a 2D or a 3D icon that represents uh, something in your environment. Um, and it's it's meant to be a little vague because it's it's supposed to be user-defined, right? So I put a, a bunch of content in this system that um, that people will be able to play with, like map markers and Uh, trees and foliage and and other environmental components that will help people sort of design their own 3D space and then invite people into the space um, for different collaborative reasons such as let's say you want to have a a chat or you want to do a uh, a Make a spreadsheet with somebody uh, a collaborative spreadsheet so the interface right now is a pretty limited and, you know, we we still are trying to uh, garner partners and sponsors to move this uh, along in development. But what we have right now essentially shows where we're headed in terms of um, creating these uh, information channels that allow people to organize themselves and come together and create um, you know information spaces that will allow them to Archive their community, but also to work together in okay, the same so you've space. Said, you've
0: said neighborhoods, communities, first responders. You had said that. Um, who else would use this?
1: So um, I, I envision uh, the uh, um, the the way that we've set up our nonprofit is to be geared towards science education and under underprivileged communities. And I really think a big part of being able to show up for underprivileged communities, for example, is to provide tools for economic development as much as just, you know, a messaging system, you know. So this system also incorporates the latest in distributed ledger technology, which would allow you to distribute the information uh, within your network. And then... um, you know, let's say you lose your your device, you leave it at a coffee shop, or uh, it gets stolen out of your backpack for some reason, for example, uh, where you can just get your new device, you know, and plug it into the internet, and uh, it replicates <coughs> your your information right back onto your device mm-hmm. without having to to know a lot or mess with you know. Uh, this
0: is no backup pack.
1: Right, it's a sort of an auto backing up, you know, auto replicating, uh, distributed system. You know.
0: Okay, so groups of people under any circumstance.
1: Yeah, groups of people organizing and coming together, very much uh, like um, the Slack or Zoom model. You know, um, except for we're not just limiting. we're we're we're, we're trying to provision for. A, a very robust open source set of protocols that we can implement that includes voice, conferencing, messaging, uh, and, uh, and maps, you know, maps and 3D content.
0: Yeah, I want to see that.
1: I yeah. See. So, what I just did there was I opened up a, a space within a space. So, we started out in this Hello Universe, which is a planned community, right? And our planned community is essentially a demo environment to welcome people in and uh, also get uh, them familiarized with some of the concepts that they'll be encountering in this system. And uh, that's uh, a little bit over to the right there where we first started, but we're waiting for the, the crate content okay. to load until we can see what those things are.
0: Well, if, if we're waiting for a second, I have a question for you for about sure, for sure. surveillance, because um, one of the things that we talked about in our the, the group that I'm a member of here in Austin, It came up that your phone is taking a picture of you every five seconds. Do you know about that?
1: I have heard of such things. Okay,
0: so someone showed it. I saw the video of your infrared camera. They managed to take an infrared video of the infrared camera taking a picture every five seconds. And so the question is, why? Why would it want a picture of you every five seconds? And then someone has come to the conclusion that they're creating a what'd they call it? A digital twin. A, Yeah, I think it's called a digital twin of every single human being. So they want to know <clears throat> when you were excited about that purchase on Amazon, the facial expressions that you were making that were excited or the letdown. Like, so that in every scenario that you're in, they know your emotions. They can map out you, basically. So it's a huge invasion of our privacy. And so then there's these little basically like stickers you can buy that fit perfectly on your phone on top of all the cameras that are there that you're not even aware of, apparently. Mm -hmm. And you can have them for your computer too so that it's not, you know, taking pictures of you. And my friend was like, it doesn't matter. Even if you cover up all that stuff and put electrical tape over everything and they can't take a picture of you every five seconds. They know where you are on GPS all the time. They have, you know, there's constant surveillance of your, of, of our facial recognition everywhere we go i mean it's just uh privacy is no longer a concept and nobody signed up for this nobody asked me if you know if i was okay with that nobody asked me if i was okay for a lot of the things that are going on right now um
1: what are your thoughts about all that just totally off
0: topic What what are your thoughts about surveillance and privacy and then how you know how can we make that better
1: I guess in a way they did ask your permission and you just didn't read the consent box. You know, you clicked, I agree.
0: I didn't But when I walked down the street and all those cameras are surveilling me. Did I agree to that? Um, when I elected my officials that agreed to have that, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a definitely a, a very complex situation. It's like, uh, at what point are these, things helping or hindering our communications environment and um, you know what are the implications the long-term implications of multi-generational information being stockpiled by corporations that really are, are designed to be self-interested in a lot of ways and so are, are sort of incentivized and geared to want to uh, get as much information as they possibly can. Um, and we've sort of, yeah, we're sort of in this environment, um, where it has become difficult to understand really to what degree this stuff is occurring because a lot of it is so much out of, out of sight. Um, and, and of course then the, the problem sort of this, the, the, the privacy considerations expand the farther, the more of a bird's eye view that you get. Into the rest of the world and the intelligence capabilities of of, uh, of other countries and such, and I think that's deserves to be a part of the conversation. Is like not only how are we securing ourselves from bad actors, but you know, on a on a worldwide and global level, we we know that we have adversaries out there, uh, and you know, what is really prudent and what are the the pragmatic things to do in terms of discussion around security and privacy Um, you know when I was in the Air Force we did talk about these things we we had uh, conversations about Facebook and the implications of putting personal and private information on on platforms like that but you don't see those kind of conversations happening on the nightly news and you don't see them happening in uh, the publications that claim to have our best interests in mind. And that's unfortunate uh, because there's been plenty of opportunities for discovery around these uh, very vital issues uh, of national security. I mean, wh- what we really are talking about is a sort of a collective national security problem that, that nobody, uh, well not nobody, but uh, a vast majority of people... Um, aren't equipped to understand or to to take part in that discussion Mm -hmm. Um, and in part you know a a new infrastructure that is designed for humanity and and communities really has to take some of these things into consideration is like what are the the fundamental um, things that you need to be a part of your system in order for some of these um, you know some of these concerns to be addressed so, um, I'll just open up our. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to our website real quick. So this is uh, a little bit about Drew. He was a nuclear submarine officer, also a student of Cornell in computer science. Um, He invented the audio reactive visualizer that appeared early in iTunes in 2001, when iTunes was first getting going, they saw Drew's work and they were like, you know, we got to have this in our commercials and in our uh, iTunes player. Um, He's designed his own 3D engine, went on to specialize in real-time 3D technology and user experience architecture and also the architecture that we're building for PLAN, uh, the distributed architecture. Um, And so, um, you know, we sort of paired our experience, you know, working both in intelligence systems and in, uh, you know, in the Navy and in distributed systems technology and... Um, we try to identify the core components and the framework, the structural framework that we would need in order to to have a, a system that would uh, serve you p- people in all over the world in in their endeavors, both in you know s- conducting the process of science, you know, because it is a process and. You know, a lot of data is involved in that process and a lot of our understanding and how we act and, and interact with each other in the daily world are, are based on these scientific processes. And so I really feel strongly that we need robust systems in order to support those decisions and the, the things that are coming out of that. And we also need protocols to be able to share that information and, you know, understand it in, in visual, intuitive ways uh, that help that, uh, that information process happen. And we've also had uh, some contribu- uh, some contributors, and uh, like Tim here is a serial software uh, or a serial startup software engineer, and uh, and he's been a great development advisor for us, and um, has been helping work on our peer to peer infrastructure. And uh, Jeff here is the organization development director. He helped me set up the nonprofit, and is on our board. And, um, and so we've had, um, a lot of help along the way in, in setting this stuff up. But, um, the thing that I really wanted to, to share was this, um, design software uh, principles. Mm-hmm.
0: And so where you are right now is on the website. People could go to this. They could go to plan dash systems.org.
1: That's right. Okay. Plan dash systems.org. And then, um, and then it's linked in the in the headers Um, you can find that there and so right now we're looking at the uh, um, the software design principles and it's a set of very important framework principles that we are making decisions based off of in order to you know uh, really create a, a a new kind of approach for software that includes this sort of uh, these values that underlie the, the system um, one of them is total data ownership. Uh, another one is total data privacy and w- real world security provisioning. We talked a little bit about that stuff. We also talked about hardware agnostic. Uh, and open source flexibility on uh, this. Some of the others include being modular and pluggable. So um, so. Uh, the way that our system looks like today just because it looks like that on our computer that um, doesn't mean that that's what it will look like in your in your community and maybe you have a community of designers and people that want to add their own uh twist on how the panel is set up or how the interface uh, is experienced or the things that you the content that you find in the in inside the system so, so people can tweak it yeah so it, it it's exactly it's open source to be to be able to be tweaked and expanded and um, and another piece of this that I think is really important is the usability and accessibility part of this Um, and uh, in large part what I'm referring to is like people with limited mobility uh, people that actually have to consider the logistics of their trip every time they leave the house, you know, or people that um, have de- degra- degradating, uh, vis- uh, deteriorating vision or mobility capabilities, you know. Um, so I'm really in this to try to create universally accessible systems, you know. If we can solve for spatial navigation for the blind you know i mean that alone that project alone can give uh all of our uh the elderly people in our lives you know and uh and and so many with uh mobility challenges uh the the ability to actually get out in the environment or hand somebody uh, a tool that will give them the security permissions that they need to let's say uh you know, help them with their systems, you know, without uh, compromising their their fundamental security. Uh, and I think that the, that's a really important part of this. And what kind of what helps make that possible is by intentionally designing a system to be open source, intentionally designing it so that it can be extended, intentionally designing it so that you can hand over uh, the software to somebody else without them having to go through a corporate license agreement, you know, because, um, because that th- that's where the privacy starts in that, in that, uh, relationship between those two people. My friend Gordon uh, Fuller, uh, went blind over his lifetime and he's an advisor for us and he's a, a really great spokesman for what we're doing and really go- helps get the word out. Um, because he sees the, the huge potential for a collaborative and spatial system in helping him better navigate his environment. You know. And that's not to say that he needs a 3D browser, but he does need the information that a 3D browser can help, uh, can help essentially uh, package for him. And then he needs a, a special interface that will allow him to get that information, not in the way where he's navigating this 3D scene, but where he's getting it through ways that he accepts uh, input.
0: I, I, I'm so confused by that. This is such a visual thing.
1: Right. Well, so, but you could still uh, distill directions, for example, down to an audio or a vibrational input. So, like, uh, when this vibrates twice, take a right. When it vibrates, three times take a left when it vibrates like a
0: self-driving car
1: exactly in a lot of ways um like a blind person almost like the the technology riding the human like a horse but then giving them the information to make the decision so instead of the the horse making the decision it's it's the the um still the human is in control and navigating that scene but the um the technology is assisting by providing external vision and a way to communicate that that uh, that spatial data in a way that that uh, blind individual could understand. That's amazing. So that would really, to me, you know, if we can if we can get that accomplished, uh, there are so many beautiful things that come with that. Just by making that one target use case uh you know h- highly refined and and honed to uh, in in these systems that we're talking about uh and that would extend to all of our family members all of our associates you know and uh and all of the the places that that kind of information needs to show up in the logistics processes that we encounter in the uh, tracking of information. Um, but of course, you know, any system like that also, you want to be provisioned. Uh, you want a lot of, uh, intention and provisioning into the security aspects of that infrastructure. And, you know, so that's, um, that's our, that's our challenge.
0: You're a visionary. You've got, you're, you're creating something in, Even envisioning something, conceiving of things that are mind-blowing. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um,
1: So let's see how we did. Looks like uh, our update took. And so now when we open up our system, we should get a little bit of a different reception. Um, Well, now we got a cat.
0: <laughs> a little creature. We're making project progress.
1: <laughs> um, let's see what else we did.
0: You showed a map. It looked like a video game when I saw your presentation. yeah. Let's,
1: we're gonna we're gonna get it. Essentially, this is like a little welcome document that you can use to um, either download across the different platforms that you might have. Okay. Um, we have this on a Mac MacBook Air right now. I hear the fans yeah. humming. Uh, and it just gives you some, some, uh, tips on what you can do in the environment right now as it stands. So it's,
0: you've got, it's, it's, it's usable, but it's not finished.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in pieces right now, but, um, this is the interface. And so it kind of is the, it's our, our prototype that lets people envision the kind of tools that we're bringing together and the kind of capabilities that will result from that. And so let's see, and then these are the controls here. So place a node, drag the surface around, you can rotate or pan around the environment.
0: You know who's gonna love this is my 11 year old. He is so into VR.
1: Right. Yeah, great for visualizing that kind of stuff. And once we have a more robust uh, way to add content, uh, it really there's just so much creativity and design happening right now that the the tools for these things has has have never been uh, have never been better. You know, Um, we really are at this sort of like this uh, beginning point for 3D technology and the way that technology can support communities. This little guy right here is a placeholder for the accessibility features that we expect to add. Right now it is a uh, zoom button so that you can adjust your screen size so it's a pretty important feature because this is an interface that works across all desktop and mobile devices so if you wanted to have this on a on a screen with multiple uh, screens supporting your visualization environment let's say you're a, a first responders at a command post and you want to have one screen dedicated to chats one de- dedicated to maps and one over here dedicated to t- keeping track let's say a spreadsheet or something is open uh, so that um, those kind of uh, utilities and multitasking capabilities are available for uh, decision makers that are trying to understand and sift through um, uh, content and and information. Right now, the real strength of the system is in bringing together and displaying three D content. And there's uh, there's a few other platforms that do that, uh, but not really quite anything like what what we what we're doing so far as far as i can tell
0: um yeah what's your competition like anybody else doing this you wouldn't know would you
1: i mean there are various projects out there but um there's very few that are taking a whole systems approach i mean uh so in terms of like infrastructure plus interfaces together you know a lot of people there's a lot of projects that are uh S- smartly working on you know v- niches that uh are a little bit more dialed into a particular segment or use case you know but we really think that it's imp- it's very important to consider um yeah you need a robust infrastructure and 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 the ability to get the data around uh on the the current internet infrastructure that exists right but you also need to be able to interact with that information you need an interface something that um, that you can actually use you know um, computers when they first showed up when we were kids you know like we, we would i mean i don't know about you but i would run like the dos program and stuff and just be sort of perplexed at how was i supposed to interface with this thing I had to learn all these commands and I had to learn, you know, what those commands did and how they operated and how they functioned. It
0: was kind of daunting. It was
1: kind of daunting. It's like, Oh, I you know, and there weren't, there weren't any websites to go to. It was just sort of like, okay, you ran these programs and, uh, and a lot of people got, uh, what they would get out of the computer when they like, you know, run a game and, and play a game, you know? And, um, and so, You know, one of the objectives is to really simplify the, the whole IT process, you know, into something where a website becomes as simple to launch as clicking in a space, adding a space channel, opening it, and then starting to put stuff into it, you know, and... So, for example, we'll just add a quick designer space here of Stonehenge. Um, and so now we're, we're at the Stonehenge site. Um, somebody took the time to do a LIDAR scan of Stonehenge. And, uh, and now I can have it as my desktop background or my desktop immersive space, you know. And I can click anywhere on this Stonehenge um, model, and I can add other channels. Uh, Let's say a talk channel or a sheets channel. Uh, These are the the primary ones in our system that are up and functioning. Um, So if I add a talk channel right here, that becomes a, a glyph of this channel that we've made. And then we can open the channel, and we can say hi to whoever is in this space with us. Right. And um, and the way I the, the way the reason this is e- as easy as launching a website is because um, each one of these channels that is created has a channel address. Now, this channel address has to be read by a planned browser. But what this fundamentally lets you do is share this channel address with somebody and meet them in this space and begin to collaborate with them. And as the tools progress, uh, getting the content in here will become easier and easier. And the cost to run these systems tends to scale towards near zero because we're, we're in an, an open source environment where uh, people can c- package their own content. And uh, just like they're sharing a, a link on the web, share that with somebody else and, and come into a space together. And so that's the... Um, That's the vision for how easy it should be really to 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 create an environment for somebody to come and experience together. Uh, One of the things that I've uh, put in here is a um, so we've got a fire medical safety crate. Right. And inside this crate, if we were to go and grab this. Is a bunch of different models that you could build a first responders emergency scene with you know firefighter an ambulance a fire truck you know in each one of these models you can add functionality to them to to create that interaction that you're going for in your project so that'll take a minute to finish Um, and you see i've got a lot of other crates here these are my maps crates so i've got a a map of Austin in here. Mm-hmm. I've got a San Francisco map in here. Some some other uh, essentially demo and example terrains that
0: yeah, I'd love for you to show that Austin map for sure. Yeah, let's get I'll that next. To to Stonehenge,
1: right? <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, the models and glyphs, or the safety, fire medical safety crate, finished up, and now we'll come over here to get the Texas map. okay now when we exit this and we go back to our home space now all of our content is in there so when i zoom in you see my scene that i made for you okay. so this is a little cat chat that we have click on this guy open this up and here's uh some uh some people have been leaving messages in here for us and then, um, each one of these is a different channel or, um, or a link that I've left in here. Um, some of them go to other, so like this is a, a space channel. A space channel is a 3D container for navigating and placing nodes, web links, and other channels. Uh, use the altitude slider on the right side of the screen to zoom in and out and change the perspective by using uh, multi-touch on mobile or by holding shift and the le- left mouse button to, okay. to kind of zoom around so so this is how you navigate in this in this new internet space and then you can also use these buttons here to sort of create like uh, to zoom around the environment and such.
0: Just your keyboard
1: Yeah, just your keyboard. Uh, A lot of gamers will already be familiar with the layout. Um, So yeah, so you have some different camera options there. Uh, And and let's open this space here. So that opened me up to a world map, (coughs) where I've also left some instructions about placing terrain here. And then uh, that Stonehenge environment that we made is here. Uh, I've already made it in this map here. And then oops just reopen that. Oh how are we doing on our Austin map? We got it. All right, so so if I want to make a, a new Austin space, a space with the map of Austin in it, um, I've already got my content loaded in here so, all i have to do is uh, come over to where i want it on the map and then i think austin's right about there if i'm not mistaken yep, that's Austin. and then i come over here and i'm going to add a space channel um, and a space channel is a container for other channels links and uh, and information that you place in him and i don't like this um glyph that it has by default so I'm actually gonna set this as a custom glyph so I'm gonna go into my models and glyphs and I'm gonna put a map marker on here Um, so let me just put uh, just a normal map marker and so this is still my space channel I can click on it and actually uh, anything in the scene can be like rotated or resized or uh, so let's say I want to make this a little smaller so i can make that smaller i can rotate it around
0: i feel like i should be doing this like i should be like videotaping you (laughs) yeah doing that
1: okay and so now we're in here and i'm gonna click on this guy and open that channel and now it's an empty space and we're gonna place our austin terrain uh, right here in the center of the space so i'm gonna go to place a node. I'm going to come to my Texas maps and my Austin, 30 kilometer by 30 kilometer city sized 3d map. And, um, it's a little big, so it's going to take a second to pop in here. But the thing that's cool is like the content itself, like me loading this into this environment for you, it's no longer, we're not going over the internet anymore. You've already preloaded that content so i can place this map over and over again in as many spaces as i want and use it for dozens of different applications you know now uh, now that i have that content so here it just popped in and now we have our 3d austin map that we're able to use as our backdrop to our space channel
0: do you have this for all over the world, or just a few places? Right, and If
1: we could like get the sponsors and the, the the partners to together, and that is definitely something I that you know to have um, a geospatial reference material for the entire globe would be amazing uh, gift for people to be able to enjoy and experience, uh, in whether it's a project that they're doing or whether um, let's say uh, you know. Maybe one of the cool uh, ideas I had that I think that would be really fun to implement would be a, a news aggregation site that places articles via links onto a 3D map that now you can access by... Uh, Clicking on the link and then opening it in another tab and you'd still have your your map there But it would be just a wonderful way to to be able to distribute information about things happening in your city or in your town or um, maybe even just sharing amongst friends of where you're where you want to meet up and um, So that's why I've taken a lot of time to really put in uh, maps and environments that Will help really give people the picture that this is designed. This is being designed to to incorporate the the logistics processes that help us survive together on this okay. planet.
0: You know. <clears throat> okay. So explain more of that. How does that do that? How does it do
1: it? Well, right now it um, is, you know, still early in development. So, um, but the idea is like, you know, I can I can use this. Map to let's say uh, add a link here. Uh, what's a, what's your website?
0: FreedomJunkieRadio.com, but it's not live yet. You have to use a different one.
1: Okay, which one should we use?
0: Um, just a, a website like. Well,
1: we're just dropping a link here.
0: Okay, how about Viva V I V A L A Silk Viva La
1: Silk.com. All right, so we just made a web link for Viva La Silk, And so when we open that, that will open up the Viva La Silk webpage web page. And so we can dock it over here. If um, And we just sort of picked a location, not for any real reason, right? Um, there's different reasons why you might want to have either a, an abstract space with no backing in it or, or an actual terrain that lets you work with spatial information. Um,
0: because you would have dropped that where they're lo- where they were located or something,
1: right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in the future, when there are more integrations available, you could imagine a map like this integrating with you know a bus route system or you know maybe a uh, route planning, you know, or um, you know route planning, especially given you know the the mobility. Uh, the uh, mobility limitations some people experience where, you know, they, they, they're they going to need to map their routes and exactly how long it's going to take. And that's going to be dependent on the equipment they have and how long their batteries are going to last. And so maybe they need to make a, a special route and then share that with a friend or a group of people that they're, you know.
0: It also seems like you'd want to be able to share this with everyone, kind of like the Internet. Like if you had all the businesses mapped out and you had all the, you know, the information about those places, the websites, the information that um, people who have certain challenges would want to know about certain places. I mean, like it—you could have your closed community where you're using this application, but also it seems like you'd want it to be very comprehensive.
1: Right, and I think what you're uh, what you're identifying is the the sort of the benefits of a global. Uh, a, a global place to meet, you know, like a website. Um, I, I'm not sure how much time you've considered it, but uh, or how much time you've taken to consider it, but most websites are read-only. And the reason that they're read-only is because there's a lot of security concerns around making uh, something that's globally accessible, something that also the entire globe can interact with, like... That is kind of like a, Wikipedia.
0: You can everyone can interact with Wikipedia, right? But can they? Oh, I mean, I never have. I don't know. I, I that's what I thought. I thought you could go in and change Wikipedia.
1: Um, you.
0: And that does make major security issues.
1: You can, but there is a process by which uh, the Wikipedia organization establishes the protocol of how to update a page, and by the, the kind of um, the kind of things that they want you to take into consideration and also be respectful of when you're when you are making those okay. changes so there's,
0: like, there's gatekeepers right? so they, yeah they, they've and
1: <laughs> that's, that's not, not a bad thing. thing right like you definitely, definitely want that, that. And, and that's, that's why, why we're, we're designing, designing this a lot more geared towards a uh, a community enclave a, a local
0: okay you put in the information
1: you want in there right okay. and that's not to say that this couldn't be global like you could definitely just like lock down a space and make it read only so that you can present and, and share information with people.
0: Cause then it would just be a big mess if everyone oh, right. could go but and put anything You wouldn't want to just
1: invite the entire world into your community because, well, you're hosting this community and you it's your resources, it's your bandwidth and it's your storage, you know? And so we'll have, uh, utilities that help, uh, communities and individuals uh, manage and moderate their, their spaces, you know, and so that way, if you want to have a distributed, uh, a, a distributed organization, for example, where, you know, there is no central server, everybody is just sort of pitching in the, the bandwidth and storage that the network needs in order to get their, their mission accomplished.
0: Like your you know? own cloud,
1: your own... Exactly, your own personal or community swarm. Okay, we call it swarm, okay because the cloud is sort of already taken
0: right how <laughs> <No>, swarm works <laughs> okay, and the cloud is it's, it's computers. It's not
1: well we're all a all of this it's that we're talking about just is just computers. computers. yeah, yeah, it's just that um, we're making it as easy as Linux did to launch a 3d server or a server I not a 3d server. It's a server that will allow you to interact in this new environment. Okay. So did you want to show us a few more
0: features and then talk about what it is y'all are going to do and what you need? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, I think one of the things that would be cool to share would be, um, let's see. You said you hadn't been to the uh, warehouse. Okay. So the warehouse is, uh, my friend Randy's, uh, warehouse it's in Austin. So, um, let's see if we can find that real quick. So here's 35, as you can see, it would be really handy to have, uh, search connected to this, but it's still early. So we're just going to do. Okay.
0: So one day you'll have a search bar. Yeah. Viva La Silk is my friend, my Cherie's business. She does hand painted silk scarves and kimonos and she's out of Austin.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Like one of the first things everybody does is like, where's my house?
0: (laughs) Where's my house? And so I guess as this would update kind of like Google maps updates, <clears throat> Would it use that technology? Did you take this off of Google Maps?
1: Um, this is from a designer who used open source utilities and programs and information to to uh, construct a 3D model of the city of Austin. And so... Um, so this is not relying on any external data feeds or sources or anything it really is just a a model of austin that um that you could overlay other um layers of information and um so you know you know would love to have a a more like Robust and complete mapping system in here, but this is a, uh, really drives home the point that, like, even with standalone 3D content, you can actually do a lot of very powerful things in the environment. Um, and so, let's just say this is my friend's warehouse, just for the example purposes. Okay. So, what I'm going to do is I've done a a 3D LIDAR scan of their warehouse and we're going to put this we're going to place that 3D LIDAR scan in this map.
0: What is a 3D LIDAR
1: scan? Uh, LIDAR is laser imaging detection and range finding. So it's basically just using uh, lasers to Calculate how the distance of objects in the environment so
0: basically walked through the space. So I walked through the
1: space a fancy camera. With a camera, with a, a fancy camera really just an iPad uh, and um, capturing that space uh, Methodically and then converting that into a uh, essentially it makes a point cloud uh, That's what they call it. And it's essentially a dot a dot matrix representation of that space and then you take um, a technology called photogrammetry to process the the images that get overlaid over that uh okay. that dot matrix it's
0: like a 3d image of your yeah. space does yeah. that make sense yeah
1: great well, yeah you. so that's what we're going to look at so we just made a space channel here so that we can open a new channel go to place my node i'm going to come into my plan systems material crate and here's my lidar scan so that's going to pop up and it's really tiny so i'm going to make it bigger And so this is one of the things you might want to do with a, a spatial collaboration tool is map out an environment or, um, Oh, that's cool. You know, so here we are. So that's how
0: the space looks
1: inside. Yeah, This is the inside of uh, this notional warehouse that we're in.
0: The um, warehouse.
1: Right. And so this is their stage. This over here are some paintings. That are up on the wall these are for sale and maybe I want to make some nodes on the wall that represent um, people being able to like purchase these paintings for example I could just add a let's add a channel and we'll make it a sheets channel and and then we'll just turn it into
0: Sheets meaning like a piece of paper.
1: Sheets meaning like a spreadsheet. Oh, okay. And then we'll just make it a a blue light. Do the same thing with these.
0: Yeah, I think of taking notes, you think of spreadsheets, so it works. <laughs> right.
1: The same thing, really. And then one more. All right, so I've got my nodes. Each one of them is going to be for the different painting that we want to. Uh, and then maybe maybe we're doing a silent auction, for example. And so you would just hand somebody a link to this space. They would see all the, you would say, uh, you know, everything that's for an auction is going to have a blue atom next to it. Just click on that atom and start the bidding process.
0: Okay, so everyone who's using this is going to have to know how to use it.
1: Well, you might give a quick tutorial in the beginning just to run through. But you think it's
0: straightforward enough to where?
1: I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: Because right now I would still be like, oh.
1: Well, keep in mind that um, this stuff would be set up for you before you got there, right? And so... Um, you would be connecting into a community that was already ready to accept you. Okay. And we started this from scratch. And now we, we've just been building stuff from scratch here, right? But now as you build up your, your space or the uh, environment that you're creating, you know, um, somebody comes into that for the first time. Yeah, maybe they do need a little instructional on how to work it within your space, you know. Uh, but after that, you know, once they get the, the basic controls down, um and you can just be navigating in in the environment and you know having people click around there's really not it's not a an incredibly complex program you know it's not like salesforce where you're like setting up all these like menus within menus you know it's uh it's we try to be um as simple and straightforward with it as 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 possible of course it it is you know it's still a a a system right so you know all systems have like a a way that you approach it and learn it and there there's going to be a learning i don't think you can take the learning process out but we can like mitigate it and actually the interfaces can be uh what's great about our system is that we could let's dial down the interface to be something as simple as just a a text and a button you know what maybe um Maybe the, the space channel doesn't apply to certain people at all. Or we can craft a custom channel adapter that is adapted to, to either view or display or communicate that information in a totally different way. So um, instead of showing up in this spreadsheet or in this, uh, in this geospatial environment, for instance, and looking at all of these as like individual locations on a map, maybe you're looking at them in a spreadsheet view in, in a way that is presented in a data view mm-hmm. where you can actually edit that data um, but that importantly it shows up at the same time for everybody when you're done editing it okay. you know so you can really get that uh, collaborative experience in the same way that um, you know a, a lot of what we're used to with applications you know except for the, uh, the the goal that we're going for is that even when there isn't the internet connection supporting that robust uh, conversation, that your tools don't stop being useful at the local level. So you can still connect to somebody that's in the other room, for example, uh, between a Mac and an Android and talk to each other. There's no, uh, there's no, um, gatekeeper saying, sorry, we don't accept, the android communications protocol or you know um, that just it it essentially creates a way for you to be on uh, a multiple a lot of different devices uh, and still using the same interface and same the same uh, tools
0: okay well is there do you want to show us a few more things or or do you want to talk about what it is y'all are looking to do
1: Let's see. Did you have any more questions about these spaces? Do you think we saw? We think we looked at enough. Um,
0: I liked how you showed um, when you did your presentation how first responders could use it as a community, and they and they like you dropped a little fire on. Oh, yeah. Something that was on fire.
1: So let's let's mm. walk through that scenario real quick. Um, so oh, yeah. we've got our warehouse here. And I'll just get rid of that guy. and let's say we had a warehouse fire.. Um, so I'll just add a fire uh, effect to this building here. and <clears throat>
0: and all nine thousand people that are part of this what do you call it? The, the, the community that's involved with this particular, what is the, what is the language you have around that? Like if you're the, the first responders, what do you call the group of people that's got an interface together on the app?
1: A community? The community? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Essentially the, Unit of organization for our software is a community. Okay,
0: so the community so that right has now, access we're, to we're it. we're in
1: a community. Um, I could get on my iPad here, and you could be on here.
0: And everything that you put since and, we're connected. And
1: actually, we can do that if okay. you want. Um, so I'll just open up mine here. So.
0: Ooh, it's on fire.
1: So I'm going to navigate to that same Austin map that, map that you're in.
0: Okay. And I'm amazing. gonna start
1: adding a few. Ooh, minutes. I'm at
0: seven percent. We gotta hurry. Okay. <laughs> I don't can't get a long enough cord.
1: Alright, let me just navigate over there real quick. Alright, so I just have to find you now. I'm in the Austin map. But it should be easy because there's a fire going. So I see it over here. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Okay, so now... W- oh my
0: gosh, there it is.
1: Here it is. Um, and maybe I'm the operator and you're the responder. So I'm looking at this sort of operations perspective. I'm getting information on other units that are in route and, uh, and you're there on scene, maybe assisting the on scene commander. And it's your job to sort of help provide the visual perspective of the ongoing operation and communicate with the operator who's also back at the headquarters looking at the same uh, picture and communicating with you. So.
0: Okay, so I ran out of juice.
1: Okay, no worries.
0: So electricity is important.
1: <laughs> Actually, I did bring a, I brought a battery.
0: I mean, it's okay. Because we, we should probably just okay. talk about what it yeah, is no you want to do with and-
1: For sure. Yeah, so um, here we are in the environment. Um, and yeah, so if I'm uh, a first responder and I'm responding to this, I've already got two key pieces of information, right? Two parts of this building are on fire. Now I can make an assessment on where to start setting up and where to start engaging based on what I know about this the scene that I'm about to start encountering. Um, it would be also really great if your first responder on the ground here at the building had a, a real-time communications device like a phone. They can hold up their camera and actually give the operator an on-scene view of exactly what's going on. They could put now we're talking about a real-time collaborative operation that is able to be undertaken you know, with the devices that we already have with us.
0: And you didn't have anything like this in Afghanistan.
1: Nothing like. Well, I had um, a mapping pro- program called Falcon View. Now I didn't have three D maps. And in a lot of cases, you don't really even need a three D map. Three so D uh, can be super helpful, but it's not. It's not. Um, it's not necessary right. all the time, right? right. right. It's kind uh, of fun. But it is—it's great to have and to be able to extend into, especially as we start to talk about these more complex logistics tasks, like let's say putting in, uh, let's say you're, you know, you're trying to understand your own network, you know, um, and you're you're placing the nodes in the environment as they correspond to where you would find them on your property, for example. Where's the internet service provider? point uh so so if they're if they needed to service it that they would know where to go on your property to find or that you would know where to go on your property to find it you would already know but maybe uh other people that you're collaborating with or that are staying there like you can actually um imagine having a an immersive system that supports uh i I have solar on my house uh so i got to see the whole setup operation and help install it and everything but, um, wow, wouldn't it be cool if like you could just have an AR overlay telling you where exactly to run the pipes and where exactly to install the junction box and where exactly to and how to put the solar panels on your roof shingles uh, correctly. And a lot of these things are are visual and uh, they become obvious when you can see them presented in a visual way. Um, but... Uh, And with a lot of the the way that technology is currently consumed and the way that information is currently consumed, some of those views are not as easy to access, right? So uh, a spatial environment or a a technology that includes spatial utilities um, can extend into those practical Mm -hmm. use case applications.
0: Yeah, I see that. Businesses could use this in-house.
1: Right, right. So like... um, especially in the in an age where a lot of people are getting used to remote working. Right. You know, and uh, You need to be
0: able to see the space And in you a way.
1: need to be able to, you know, not not everything that we rely on can be remote, you know, and but sometimes you still need to dial in and and and, and uh, engage something in a in a very quick way and make a decision really quick that um that people are counting on
0: okay so tell us what it what your plans for the near future are and what it is you need
1: yeah because it's been it's yeah it's been a real uh, a process and a trial to figure out what is the right way to engage on this because a lot of people are used to they're used to the traditional business model uh, which in this day and age is A lot of businesses are becoming very reliant on the the approach of using people's data in order to leverage additional value so they could give away free products, right? Well, we also want this to be free. Uh, Free as in freedom, though. Not to say that you won't pay for some aspect of it or that things won't cost anything, right? But that you need to be able to hand it freely to your neighbor or to your family member or to your, you know, the person that is working with you in your business.
0: Your business model is different. You're it's not different. You're not looking for investors that are going to be like the bottom. There's no bottom line. Right. There's no trying to make the most for your investors. This is a, a it, gift and you need... Investors in a way. Explain what you need. Right.
1: And we need people that see the value of having a common infrastructure between us that we can use to launch new economies. Our new economies can't exist off of the current infrastructure because the current infrastructure doesn't have these uh, fundamental properties of privacy and data ownership they don't have uh, the spatial capabilities um, and, and a lot of times they're cobbled together in a patchwork uh, of technologies that have a lot of uh, dependencies and a lot of uh, a lot of ways to fail in, in the in the time that you need them most and so we really need, in the same way that Mr. Rogers knew that public education was important enough to be community-funded, and to, to remove the interests of uh, the the corporate investors and the uh, the uh, a lot of times the uh, the agenda that comes with that. Not that it's bad. It's just focused on. Um, on you know providing a business or service. Now we will provide businesses and services uh, as a nonprofit. We can absolutely take contracts and provide. Will uh, one of our big areas of traction will be to to uh, set up custom communities and to develop custom content for communities to implement at their uh, at their organizational level. You know, uh, so that'll be a big part of how we. Uh, take on clients and and provide our services, but then we want to turn around and be able to hand, let's say, uh, the same system and tools and utilities, uh, that fundamental infrastructure to somebody like the Internet Archive, who uh, are very much a, uh, a nonprofit focused on archiving the world's knowledge. In digital systems
0: okay you mentioned a number you need 1.5 million dollars to finish your project
1: we think it I wouldn't say that that would finish the project I would say that that would get us to the point where we could launch and confidently plan our operations for the next year to be in a position to uh, roll these tools out and and uh, and to not have uh, that traditional business model sort of following along
0: okay so, what does that look like? You, I mean, you need. You could have some benevolent it's benefactor come um, up with 1 point million, 1.5 million, But what if you had, uh, one hundred and fifty thousand people give you ten dollars?
1: That would be perfect for us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's part of the the challenge right now is to uh, develop a communication strategy for reaching out to uh, the sponsors and partners that uh, see the value in the kind of uh, technology that we want to foster and that want to support and see that technology show up for them. Um, and that can be, you know, um, anything from uh, a simple donation. Have you thought of to, uh, I have, definitely. Um, And the way that I'm approaching that, and the way that we've taught uh, my team and I have discussed approaching it, um, we don't want to fully. We don't want to take that on until we know that we have enough of a network in place to actually meet our objective. You know and um, how will
0: you know you've got that
1: it's hard to say so a network of people it is yeah a network like an, uh, of enough organizations that we're working with and um, you know I could actually I could launch a patreon or some other crowdfund tomorrow mm-hmm. right but then there actually has to be um, the messaging and the content and the marketing Reward. and the, the rewards and we do have uh, a lot of this Right. And it's set up and it's basically ready to go um, and and ready to to deploy. Um, But then I also need to be confident that 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 message will be carried forward by enough allies. Okay, if you
0: could have everything you need one week from today, what would it be? In terms of to make this happen, to make this just move forward. If, if you could have a uh, uh, hundred people, a uh, thousand people, um, businesses and entities that are interested in using your product, what is it you need?
1: So what we're trying to do right now is um, bring together a team uh, of distributed systems experts, peer-to-peer systems experts, and, uh, and also... 3d user interface and user experience designers so that we can actually um, bring together the different components that I've talked about the infrastructure systems and the interfaces together Um, and our assessment is that would take around uh, around a year to two years of uh, intensive development Um, but it would be these experts uh, that I need to attract on or we have you know, a, a solid team ready to to take on these challenges, you know, but um, I also need to be able to have enough resources to make sure that their livelihoods and well-beings as individuals dedicated to this very, like, you know, uh, it is an intensely technological feat to bring these things together. So we, gotta get we want top ta- talent undertaking these critical problems. I mean, we're talking about mission critical infrastructure. So to be realistic, you know, $1.5 million is a starting point, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, it's a starting point that begins to add onto itself though, because every tool that we, uh, that we fold into the system, every job that we do where a sponsor says, you know, I would really like uh, this feature and this thing actually would, would let me be, um, 10x more productive if i just had this one thing and and i'm willing to sponsor this feature and give it to this uh nonprofit, for example uh that also needs it and to 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 set up this um a funding agreement and relationship where uh based on milestones that we decide on and a quid pro quo agreement on what shows up and then we can incorporate those things and the more of those that we do the more that uh, value that we add to this platform and the capabilities that we're able to provide. Okay. So, so where we're at in our current position is we've got this pre-alpha prototype um, that runs these, uh, these spaces in these channels that, that we've been looking at today. Um, but you could see it was a really bare bones interface. It's, uh, it's not a robust uh, uh, chat, you know, it's just basic text. It's not a robust spreadsheet. It's really just a table right now. But we've developed this foundational framework and, and, uh, and, and the technology has come to the point where we're, we're ready to, to take on a larger team. And we're ready to take on uh, that, that budget uh, that we need in order to bring these to, uh, to, to a production-ready status. So you oh. need
0: funding and man, manpower or woman power.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we need contributors in the form of uh, either sponsorships, partnerships, or uh, we can do that through uh, taking on clients as well.
0: What did you want to do with the music?
1: Um, well, you're, you're a music person, right? Yeah. you like music stuff? I
0: love music.
1: All right. We'll just...
0: It's my music on my channel.
1: Let's just do a music demo. Okay. I love music too, and like part of the excitement of peer-to-peer and distributed systems for me is like the music applications, right? Um, To have a collaborative jam session or a collaborative experience with other people in an artistic uh, environment. So this demonstration or this uh, music that I'm going to play doesn't really have anything to do with plan right now at this point, but... um, Oh, actually, this is actually super relevant to you. You're doing a podcast. Guess what? We've made a podcast player. So one day we'll have a podcast uh, full multimedia capabilities embedded in Plan. Um, so let me show you Tuner. Tuner is our uh, is our multi-stream audio visual player. So what you're seeing right now is um the different platforms that we've integrated into this video or into this uh multimedia or not multimedia player i'm sorry into this audio player and so uh whether it's uh my library that's on my on my device here uh, or the 3000 podcast library that we've put together
0: Okay, and this is in your. This is in the system that is on there right now. This is in plan systems.
1: No, this is this is separate. Oh,
0: okay. So this is our
1: previous work. Um, um, my uh, collaborator uh, Drew Omira has a company called Sound Spectrum, and this is actually the first project that we worked on together. Was um, to take the visuals that he's created and to um, put them into this visual audio reactive m- media player Okay. hopefully this will load for me and now yeah here we go subscribe so that'll show up in my subscription list and um now we're listening to your no podcast way. here in uh in tuner and now you've also got this uh visual uh sort of um entertainment <laughs> background to <laughs> to so, listen to your
0: that's amazing right
1: so here here's the podcast it looks like you've got about a dozen or so so yeah, far yeah
0: that's about right
1: and um and then we can come and get info on each of your this is all wow stuff that put okay in and
0: so and that's this is another thing you guys are
1: doing yeah this is another thing that we've done previously some of our previous works um, and as you can imagine we would love to have you know our entire uh, Net radio and podcast library uh, Represented in plan and bring some of these amazing visuals into the plan 3d environment In plan a skybox is what is around your space channel so um, something like this or a video actually or a uh, Images 360 images can just be placed around these uh, Containers in your environment um, So we have a lot of like really exciting stuff in the works Um when the right uh the right combination of sponsors and partners and and collaborators uh comes into the to the picture uh with us so
0: okay um so what's the music thing you're gonna do yeah
1: i guess i was just gonna play some music really um, and uh so this is my device mm-hmm. Instruments here, this turns into a keyboard pad.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) So, you created the loops with um, Logic?
1: No, with this. Everything is done on this. Yeah, this whole is a music production system, all in one little.
0: And what's it called?
1: OPZ. OPZ. Is that something new or has it been around for a while? It's pretty new. Uh, about a couple years old.
0: So you don't have to know how to use Ableton. You can no. just come play. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us on Freedom Junkie Radio. Please share and tell your friends. And we're the, the website should be live soon, which means that you'd be able to get a Freedom Junkie Radio t-shirt, show your support. We're looking for sponsors. And Just thanks for being one of the freedom people who wants freedom in this world. Thank you, Freedom Junkies. We'll see you next time.